Yo, yo, uh-huh, yo, uh-huh, yo, 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 uh, you are listening to the Mental Wealth Show, you are listening to the Mental Wealth Show, you are listening to the Mental Wealth Show, and me, I'm your host, my name is Rich Jones, you are listening to the Mental Wealth Show. You are listening to the Mental Wealth Show. That's right. You are listening to the Mental Wealth Show. Yeah. And me, I'm your host. My name is Rich Jones. Yo. What's good and welcome to this first episode of the Mental Wealth Show, where it's all about showing you what's possible personally, professionally, and financially when you're willing to do the work. So in this episode, we're going to get right into it today. But in the future, you're going to hear me trying some new things since this pretty much is a blank canvas, a new space and all of that good stuff. But as for today's guest, I am talking to Micah Johnson. And Micah is a former Major League Baseball player turned artist, turned NFT of the year award winner, turned brother who got one of his projects optioned for film. And all of this happened in a pretty short amount of time. I mean, he's partnering with Visa. He's partnering with all sorts of art galleries and other things. And it, it was just really cool to talk to him and, and to also hear his level of humility, but at the same time, his drive to succeed. And I guess, you know, when you go to the pros and you're doing art and things like that, you've got to have that drive because there are going to be plenty of days where things don't go perfectly. So here's my conversation with Micah. I'll catch you at the end of the show and I hope you enjoy. Micah, welcome to the podcast, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to, excited to get in. It's crazy because I've been looking at what you've been into in the crypto space you know, with NFTs. I know also a professional baseball player. You got your hands in, in a lot of things right now. And I know we were talking a little bit of, before the show about kind of being in grind mode. But what is the top of mind thing for you right now with just everything that's going on? And then we'll kind of backtrack a little bit into uh, your story. Yeah, for me, top of mind is, well, honestly, Art Basel. We have a big event down there. Uh, top of mind is uh, we look at that as a big, big opportunity to blend digital NFTs with IRL and and really thinking outside the box of how we do that in an immersive experience, but also, uh, you know, the people that are involved making it special, you know, a little different than what we're seeing in the current NFT landscape. So that's that's top of mind. Now, you said NFTs, non-fungible tokens, and then you said IRL, which to me means in real life and internet terms, but I want to make sure that I understand that correctly so that the audience understands it correctly. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think everybody, we talk about the metaverse and, and what is the metaverse and really what we are already living in the metaverse, in my opinion, it's, it's the combination of how you experience things in these digital worlds and social media and video games and MMOs. And, and then also can go do the same thing and socialize with the same people in real life opportunities and experiences. And so metaverse is just how we experience life. I, I don't think it's like a, it's a, we already doing it. We do it. It's not like a thing. The metaverse to some people, they haven't heard about that or even thought about it until Facebook decided that it was going to change its name to meta. And to me, that was more of a sign of where we're going in this space with blockchain, with crypto technology. I mean, we see all of the investor money that's being poured into it, but a lot of people, they hear metaverse and they're just like, what, that's Facebook's new name? So how do you, when someone's asking you like, what, what's this metaverse thing people are talking about? How do you describe that to people? You're really already doing it. If you're on social media and you're engaging with somebody, uh, 
um, digitally or you're posting a profile picture and yeah, you're part of a community that then you go meet up in New York at NFT NYC or you go meet up or you're talking like, in my opinion, that is the metaverse where there's just a blend of digital and, and IRL. It's a seamless blend of the two. Now, of course, there's infrastructures that make that more seamless. Fortnite is a perfect example of this, like where you can go into Fortnite and, and engage with, you know, your friends and then go down to the park and hang out and, and do the whole thing. And so I think the metaverse just got exponentially more uh, prominent with NFTs and on di- ownership over digital assets. So when you have like your persona or your avatar, and that's a reflection of who you are in the real world in this digital world, I think that's when the metaverse really like metaverse and in, in quotations really got prominent. When people are, we, now we can own our own dig- our digital self. Yeah. And I've seen people have all of these questions about it. And to me, I think about it even as when we talk about like single sign-on where you have like one authentication or one email address that you use to log into everything. And if you have the same avatar information behind it, to me, it's not much more complex than that. You know, or even playing back in Farmville back in the day and the games you could play on Facebook or or Candy Crush. Uh, I even see those things as kind of being uh, in this space as well. We'll talk a lot more about that, but what I've really found interesting is that you've you made this pivot one from baseball to this space i heard you say on on another interview that you were an average athlete you know and you ended up going to the pros and i'm thinking to myself i'm like this brother went to the pros like you can't be average you can't be an average athlete and go to the pros in any sport even though baseball is a highly skilled sport which will compensate for maybe some of the physical deficiencies when you look at you know some of the pitchers and folks that are out there but i'm like man how could you say that you're an average athlete when you got to the point that you actually played major league baseball, man. Yeah. I think average in the sense of like, you know, I wasn't dunking. I wasn't, you know, I was fast, but, and I was strong, I guess, but like I wasn't playing any other sports. I was just focused on the skill level required for baseball. You know, I was never the best player on my team growing up. I was always either on the bench or like, you know, afterthought and on pretty much every team besides my private high school that had like, you know, no cuts, only a hundred kids in my classroom. I was a star there for sure. And I was just, I was just always average. And I think that's kind of what my point was. It's like, I was never a phenom at, or at anything. It's just a combination of being hyper-focused and working hard. And I think it's, it could have been anything. Like if it was like, you know, you talk about track and field, it could have done track and field if I just really, really worked on it. Right. Like, or I mean, that's a bad example. Cause you gotta be fast. You born with them twitches. I mean, you can get to a certain level. You can get to a certain level. level. You can get to a level. Track and field is probably the worst example possible because you were born with those fast twitch muscles. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And I think what's particularly interesting with that is you mentioned this kind of dedication and and focus. And a, a lot of people don't naturally have that. And so I'm curious where that comes from for you. Just my parents, man. Watching them every single day work at the same job every single day. Um, and then come home and take care of us and make sure that, you know, we have the necessities we needed to, um, focus on what we wanted to focus on, you know, baseball or, you know, my sister played volleyball or softball, just watching them every single day show up. And and then my grandpa, uh, you know, to, to the day he died was coming up with ideas and plans and to, to do something else, right. To work. And it was just, it's just in, in our, in our blood to just, enjoy the work more than we enjoy any reward or any anything at the end of the end of the road is the work is what we're so hyper you know i watch my parents but just hyper obsessed with 
seeing that example, uh, whether it's seeing the hard work that your parents put in or seeing the struggle that has an impact. Baseball in particular, where did your interest in in baseball come from? Who had that impact on you? I don't know, man. I just I, from a young age, like three years old, is all I ever did. Just was obsessed with it. I don't. I don't know. I, it really, there's nobody that was watching baseball or or anything like that. It's just something I fell in love with. Okay, cool, man. Yeah, so that's just what you naturally gravitated toward. I've heard of like some parents doing a thing where, yeah, they'll they'll put like multiple sports, different sports balls in front of their kids and see which one they naturally gravitate toward, and that's the one they choose to invest in. <laughs> I've heard of that as a thing, but I know for you it was something that you uh, naturally gravitated toward. Yeah. <laughs> And so how did that experience growing up, seeing your parents working so hard, how did that influence the way that you thought about money? We never had any. We never thought about it. It's funny because it's different now, but money is like a scoreboard, in my opinion, to me. Like, you know, I think I just we just love work, like whatever it is. Like I used to work on a farm. Right. And I, my mom used to drop me off at five in the morning every summer, every day would work all day long. And then she would pick me up, take me to a baseball game. Okay, and then I go play a baseball game after you know milking like 500 cows twice a day, you know shoveling you know the whole yard, fencing everything every single day. It was never about the money. It's just I, I enjoyed the the work, and so I think the money is just a it, literally it's a scoreboard. And if you're focused on the money, I think it's very difficult to do something successfully because um, you're not in, not in love with the process or the work. That, that, that gets you there. I think, I think it's very difficult to make money if you're not in love with the, the, the whole grind that goes into it. And I think that's why you see a lot of people, like they make money and they just continue making money. Like once you get to a certain threshold, like you, 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 like you just keep making money because you realize like those people are just obsessed with the work that got them to that place to start with. And they're going to keep working. They didn't stop when they got to, you know, X amount. The same thing with athletes. Like LeBron has all the money in the world. Mm-hmm. He still shows up every single year still works out every single day and still plays the game hard every single day. Those type of people is what comes from. Yeah. And it's that passion, I think, that is what makes things sustainable, too. Whether you're a podcaster, whatever it is, you've got to put the hours in. There's the whole 10,000 hour thing that we all talk about. But uh, it is that day-to-day consistency and those habits. And I think what's, what's important is that you can love the work and, and be passionate about it, but you don't have to love every part of it, you know, because because there are going to be hard periods, difficult periods. And I think sometimes we get that conflated a little bit where it's like, yeah, like, you know, when we'll talk about you painting, but I'm sure there are days where you're like, yo, what the fuck, man? Like, it's, it's just not coming to me today. And that's all part of it, too. You know, you know, I guess a quick background in early 2020, I was just painting in my garage. You know, I was two years removed at that point, year and a half from baseball with a daughter and, and, and baby daughter and having to support, you know, trying to support the family on, you know, I wasn't a superstar. I didn't make millions playing baseball. The whole work and like the passion I had for that got me to where I am now. But what I'm realizing is like, I'm, I can't do everything. If you want to keep going, like you can't, you can't do everything. Like I remember sitting there and like praying to God, like just give me a chance to like make money to provide for my family. And what's funny is like, you get that. He gave me that chance. And now like, I'm still like, cause I've been trying to do it, everything myself and, tr- and trying to manage everything and play all these different hats. But how happy am I really? Right. Like you asked for it. Now you got it. You, you got to be prepared when you get it to understand like what you're good at, what you're not good at 
And if you have that money, spend the money to go get other people that can help you continue and, and find happiness and, and, and not overwork yourself. I think that's a fine balance once you become successful is like you want to keep going in, in, in that. But then like you're not going to enjoy it. You know, you're going to it's going to just continually go and go and go. You know, it takes some wisdom to get to that place to even say, you know what, I can't do it all. And I did that for a number of years. And at the time that we're having this conversation, I'm still on a mental health leave from work, from going so long, just work, 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 and, and not addressing, you know, some underlying issues and challenges. When did you have that realization of like, yo, man, I can't, I, I can't do it all. This week, <laughs> this week, <laughs> if you go back and look at like my trajectory, it's like out of nowhere, here I am in last year and last June you know, solo exhibition art show, another one in, in February of this year. Aku got released as an NFT, like in February. All these things happened, right? And it's been nonstop work, releasing Aku ch NFT chapters every single month, working on building the company out, working on, you know, the paintings. Everything happened in a year. It's not, It's been a year of just nonstop working, like 24 seven working and sack. And I woke up this week and I was like, look, like my daughter's two now and I, and I don't get to see her very much, you know, if I'm working or I just been going at the same rate. And I was like, it hit me this week. It's like, you have people around you. You don't have to try to wear all these hats, like rely on people and, and delegate is probably the most critical part to continue to, to have sustained growth and, and impact. What's, interesting as i'm hearing that i'm realizing some of even my own assumptions because some people might hear like oh you played at the pro level regardless of what level of, of stardom you had you've got connections you've got networks it would seem as if that would be easy to put the right people around you so can you talk a little bit about that because i assume some people would imagine like oh you've got money you've got things you would already have all of this stuff in in place one thing there, though, is to be to reach the level I was able to reach in the major leagues. I was so hyper focused on that that a lot of things I sacrificed. School, right? Or I never filled out a job resume. I've never had a job interview. Like, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff you learn that you need post baseball, I didn't have. So I was learning in real time. Like, what do I need? What does this position mean you know like who do i really need like what what is that like that, i know that sounds silly you know i'm 30 years old like not know all that stuff but like all i did was play baseball and then after that i did art right it wasn't like i i worked in an office i didn't have any of that knowledge of who does what to know what i needed help on i just learned to keep going and figure it out myself but that got me to a point where i'm at now where it's like exhaustion you know really just exhausted mentally and emotionally and not taking care of yourself and all that whole thing but still trying to learn like what i need you know to help take this to the next level yeah it's an ongoing life journey and i, and I appreciate you even uh sharing that i know when you walked away from baseball it wasn't a big you know ceremonial grand thing and it, it felt like a natural transition to you but i imagine that there was a point but I believe that at this time, you might have also stepped away to kind of uh, work on your own mental health. You can correct me on that. But I, I believe that there's probably like a, a point where you're like, yo, it's time for me to make that pivot and I got to start figuring out what's what's next. So can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, for me, I did walk away from baseball. It just was that. I just walked away. There was no phone call back to somebody, no team. I said, I'm not coming back. It was just, I, I just didn't. That was it. That last year was tough mentally uh, on me and I needed to focus on that. And I had art, you know, towards the end of my career, I discovered art and my love for art. And I just worked on my craft. 
But the fortunate thing is I found NFTs in late 2019 and crypto in late 2019. What NFTs and crypto allowed me to do is carve my own path instead of having to go learn the corporate structures and, and go get this job to get that job. I was able to do and connect with people within crypto and NFTs, learn from them about that new space. It was a new space. There was no real like, quote unquote, people have been it for 20 years and, and, and you know, you had, there was a, a order of things. I was able to carve my own path in this new, new market. And so that was really fortunate that, you know, I found that and uh, was able to dig into NFTs and crypto. And crypto, blockchain, that whole space, the ability for things to be decentralized. There's a lot of folks, as you know, who are unbanked. And I really see this as an opportunity to empower people and empower communities. I mean, that's essentially what, what we're seeing with NFTs, right? What are the biggest misconceptions that you hear from people or like what are the biggest myths that you find yourself having to constantly de debunk, if any, because I run into them all the time? I think that a lot of people still see NFTs as just like, well, you know, like money laundering or why is this image going for all this money and, and all that. If you get through all that and all that noise and, and all this other stuff going on, what you see is the technology underneath it that technology is actually the disruptive part of this. Because if you think about a token, right? A token that is, a, is a, has value. That's what an NFT is and that's what a cryptocurrency is. It's, it's a token. And what that token allows people to do in the sense of NFTs, for example, is to create an alignment with the community and that thing that they like, right? Because they're all investors in it. It's not, it's not in this like, you know, an Instagram influencer and someone's just liking their, their photos and, and that Instagram influencer builds the brand up that, you know, their Instagram is making money. The influencer can go and, you know, do some revenue and do all that. Like in this instance, it's a direct connection between a community and a creator. The creator grows. So does the community grow. The more demand for that token becomes. And so that's the really disruptive piece of this is now instead of a major entity or a you know like Facebook or you know a social platform accruing all the value the value is being exchanged between the the community who and early supporters and the creator by way of token we see some of this on other platforms but it's in dollar bills we just don't think of it the same way so whether it's like a Patreon or any of these platforms where you subscribe to get perks from the content creator. It's it's very much the uh, same thing. Now, Art, you mentioned you discovered that toward the end of baseball. How did you discover art? How did you realize that was your thing? Could, could you draw before? Did a brush float toward you? And then next thing you know, you were empowered? No, so I discovered art in 2016 while playing baseball with the Dodgers just by happenstance but out of pure nervousness I got called up to the front of the team and my manager was asked asked me what I like to do and right before I went to spring training I did a paint and sip class with a, with an ex-girlfriend and I said you know I like to paint thinking that that was the end of the conversation I keep it moving it's like great you got to do a painting of Maury Wills and, and show the team by the end of spring training you know I was like all right but and so I went to the Walmart got the stuff I needed you know did the painting haven't never painted before like you know messed around stuff you know but never like this presented to the team and a few of the teammates came up to me afterwards and were just like yo this is really good you're really talented you know i had no idea right and i was like oh okay like let me let me keep going with this 
And the rest of that year, I just kept painting. The next year, I just kept painting and kept painting and just fell in love with what I fell in love with about art is the ability to really see yourself progress. The more work you put in, you could really see yourself get better. And that's just what I absolutely fell in love with. It was never like at the end of the day, I'm, you know, you know, I'm getting notoriety for my art. It was more like I just fell in love with the process of seeing an eye that I paint get better, you know, or be better throughout the, the weeks or months or year. And that was really what, what made me fall in love with it and, and be very therapeutic. And eventually why I was comfortable enough to walk away from baseball. Mm. And I've noticed sometimes we know what great looks like. And maybe, maybe you could probably appreciate this as, a, as an athlete too. We know what excellent looks like. We also know that it takes work to get there. And there can also be the frustration of seeing our first work, knowing what great looks like, and knowing that we're still really far away from that and that the first shit that we created is actually pretty ugly. Uh, maybe that wasn't your experience, <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm curious about your thinking around that and just how you how you navigated that because that's tough. Where it's like you've been really good at something and then now you're doing something new. Where it's like I know what dope looks like. I know that I'm dope. It's just gonna take time for me to be dope again in this new area. I don't think I'm there yet. I don't, I don't think I'm that dope yet. I think that what I have is the inability to be affected by failure. So in my studio right now, right outside this door, you know, I'm preparing some works for Art Basel. There's still a stack of works in the corner that are all trash going into the dumpster, right? That's still a part of the process. And so it's frustrating, of course, at times, especially when I'm on deadlines or I'm, I'm like, man, I got to do like, thought I had this down, right? And I mess up like halfway through or, or whatever it is. I don't feel it. It's for sure frustrating from a time perspective. But but having the ability to just say like, fuck it, <laughs> like really, that's it. And just, I'm going to keep rocking and then come back the next day or take some time off, go back in, go back in and, and not, not being scared to like throw it away. Um, cause I know what I'm capable of. If I just, you know, throw this one away and give it another shot, you know, time is, I don't val I don't think a time is like, you know, time wasted. It was just time learning really. This becomes a more serious thing for you. And, uh, you know, you're, you're going to art exhibits and what was that? first exhibit like for you that first experience where you saw your work up yeah i mean it was pretty incredible i mean it's funny because you know i i didn't know what to expect like this again this is a completely new you know world for me i just think it was really special because i knew the work that had went into that and all the frustration mentally that how it weighed on me like nobody will ever know what that's like to just be so frustrated with like creative and nothing's coming to you and nothing's coming. Forget the sales, like literally nothing's coming to you that you think is good enough to be on display to see somebody believe in you. Like art angels did and say like, we think this is good enough to be on display. It was really rewarding, man. You know, validation. I love that. And art angels is. That's my gallery in Los Angeles that I just called one day and, and, last June and said, Hey, I got some works. I think maybe hopefully you're interested. <laughs> and they took me. Uh, so was there a hesitation around that beforehand or were you just could because some people they'll stay in their head about it for a really long time before they take that step of picking up the phone. So I'm curious, like, has that always been part of your hustle to be able to, to pick up the phone and make that call? No, no, uh, -uh. Mm -hmm. that's the thing. It's not, it's not, I, uh, really, really timid to be honest with you and why I had the confidence was because I had released some works early on 
as NFTs, paintings that I would animate. And they did well. And, they, you know, people, you know, really resonated with them or, you know, commented on it or bought it, you know, and collectors really like thought it was really good. I had that kind of validation going into it, but I'm not that type of person that's going to just reach, reach out to somebody. I'll, I'm a lot more timid than that. <laughs> I think it's just, you know, that confidence that I had in NFTs. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. And then it's like, once you do it once, of course, it gets easier, even though you know there's going to be rejection along the way. Same thing, striking out, there's metaphors galore for all of that. So Aku, I definitely wanted to talk about that. I've uh, been looking into the project myself. Uh, I'm going to be peeping for the next drop. I know that there's uh, a really freaking fantastic story. Well, the question that was asked that led to you, that led you to create this isn't great, but what came out of it and where it's going, I think, is is what's most powerful. So can you tell folks that story and uh, give folks a little bit of light into a coup? Those were those first paintings that I had released were my nephew in, in an astronaut helmet. And those were based around when I was back in my garage, you know, uh, painting for nobody. My nephew asked if astronauts could be black one day. And so I started building these canvases and making these paintings and showing him, right? And, and he immediately, like, started building rocket ships out of cardboard boxes and watching, you know, all this stuff about space and all that. And it was just really, really cool to see like a painting have that kind of impact on a kid. And so after, you know, these shows I did at Art Angels, I started to think about like, how can I do this at, at scale? Like, how can I reach a broader audience? Because at that time, like, you know, these paintings were just one of ones. They were just going on collector's walls outside of like what I was posting on Instagram. I don't have a big Instagram following or anything like that. And that's how I came up with with Aku is a digital persistent character that can transverse the digital realms and be a champion of what I'm trying to do. And that's empower people to believe that there's no limits to their dreams. And so Aku, you know, we released him as an NFT on uh, February 21st with no expectations other than I just want to get this character out in the world. I had no connections in Hollywood, no connections to books, comic books, no, none of that. Like I just said, like I have nfts i can make an animated nft and an animation and release it and, and just hopefully over these 10 chapters that i release prove that like people like it you know that's the plan like prove that people like like this character or we tell the story and and people like it first minute we released aku it sold over a million dollars on february 21st ended up uh, over two million dollars and the messages and the replies on twitter were were just about how people saw themselves in aku and what you know how they felt empowered and so that was like when I clicked on me that like, this is really special. You never know as an artist, you just wanted to get something out, but Aku could be really special. And so after that first drop option, op Aku to be the first NFT to be a feature film, I was able to, you know, retain ownership over, you know, merchandise and video games and that whole thing. And so I said, okay, this is a great opportunity to build something bigger that can leverage Web3 and, and NFTs to empower more creators to do the same thing. Because I know there's a million other people that have you know, similar stories that they want to get out that can impact a lot of people. How can I build something bigger with Aku? And Aku as like the lead blocker or the, the, you know, the, the Mickey Mouse of this whole thing that can then help other creators bring in IP and help them get their stories out into the world. And so that's what I was able to leverage from that one NFT drop. Man. And then on, on top of that, NFT of the year award winner, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was 2020. And it, it's funny, like you didn't you didn't mention that. I mentioned it and we're talking right now and I'm like, this brother is really humble and chill. 
And I'm like, that's pretty, that's pretty dope. When you consider the the timeline of it to go from when you started painting to when you got into the NFT space to then winning an NFT of the year award, what has that done for you, whether in terms of for business or even just for, for you and how you operate? Because that's like another vote of confidence. Yeah, really, it was an honor to obviously receive an award in a field that you know was brand new. So that's definitely an honor, especially amongst everybody else in the space. But part of my nature is like, again, those wins are ways to leverage that into something else and leverage that into something else. Because I believe that like, the most fulfilling thing is not me going around with a house full of trophies or articles about how I'm the coolest thing ever. No, that's, that's kind of lame. It's more fulfilling to do these things, leverage these things, build the infrastructure, grind, empower other people to do that. That's the win. Money's comes like money, money will come like money comes. If you are focused on the right thing, money will come. Like, I don't ever think about that. I think about grinding to leverage that NFT award into the Aku release, leverage that Aku release into a film, that Aku film into, into a partnership with Visa to help empower other creators, leverage that into a company and hiring people that can do this, right? It's all a game of building on top composable wins, I would call them. <laughs> Yeah, I think of it in personal finance, we talk about compound interest and compounding rates, and it's the same thing. It's a compounding effect over time of just these wins start to stack up. I'm curious, have you ever, or do you ever find yourself in a place where you're constantly going, achieving wins, achieving wins, and then, and, and maybe this is kind of where you're at now, where you kind of realize that like, you're so focused on stacking the wins that you actually forget to like stop and appreciate what it is that, that you've accomplished over that time, because there's always something else to do. All the time. Every single win has been like that, because in my head, there's an end goal to this and we're not there yet. And so what, there's nothing to celebrate. Like what is very few people know about Aku, right? It's an NFT mm -hmm. thing. Like there hasn't been another creator that come along and that I've helped do this for so there's a the game's not over it's like the first inning so uh, gotcha. it's all great and it's very it's incredible to, to see where i've come from in just a year but i don't know i just i just work to do that and then it's still you know, there's still a lot of work that's to be done <laughs> yeah it's the marathon and uh, i think what's what's very clear in this is, is that you have a vision and that you do always see an end goal. And I think there's probably a lot of habits and things that you picked up from sports that you're transitioning to your life. Now, for folks that want to learn more about Aku, they want to get involved. What's the best way for them to do that? So if they're coming to Art Basel, Aku World, they'll be down at Art Basel from December 2nd to the 4th. Come by. It's a 30,000 square foot immersive world. Um, it's really, really special. The chapters are released each month. Next chapter, chapter six, gets released on November 21st on Nifty Gateway. And those really, those chapters are not only seeding the Aku story like, you know, comic book might uh, back in the day, but also it allows us to build a community that we can constantly drive value back to because of the ETH address. We can read wallet contents and say, you own, you know, three chapters, you get this cool hoodie or you get access to the film or, you know, there's tons of different ways that Web3 enables us to connect to the community. And so those chapters are an opportunity to join the community. And, and that's, that's really it. Talking about Aku, joining if you want, you know, um, spreading the word about Aku is always incredibly important and valuable. Yeah, I just joined the uh, Discord the other day. 
So I'm, uh, really I'm in the mix on there as well. Discord, I won't lie, it wasn't until I got into the NFT space that I downloaded yeah. Discord to my phone. <laughs> and, and that became the uh, platform of choice. A couple of the names that you mentioned, these are online platforms. And basically, these are marketplaces, right? Because I, I want people to feel like this is accessible. And I don't want people to feel like, oh, I don't know art. Like, I haven't been to a gallery. Like, I want people to feel like this is something they can come appreciate and, and easily get involved with. Yeah, they're all marketplaces. OpenSea, NFT, and Nidim Gateway, anybody can get involved. There's a lot of pathways to, to, to get into the space. Follow me on Twitter and, and see who I'm interacting with. Follow them. And then there's just a little segue into learning and educating and finding what you like. That's really how it, how it goes down. Yeah, I hear you on that, man. So, Mike, it's been fantastic having you on the podcast. I know you just said folks can follow you on Twitter. So what is that Twitter handle? Micah underscore Johnson three. And, and don't follow me because you think I'm, you know, I'm cool or anything like that. Just follow me to try to find who else is, you know, talking about this stuff and just learn about it. You know, it, at Twitter's where all the NFT and crypto and all that stuff is happening. So it's, it's a good opportunity to learn uh, just by just following somebody and then follow somebody else and, and just just use me as the door to get in. <laughs> Got you. And if you had to give one tip, in addition to what you just shared, for somebody that has been resistant to learning about blockchain, they've been resistant to learning about crypto, they think it's all scam, weird stuff, what would your parting message be for them to consider? I think recognize, in the most humble sense, look what I've been able to do and turn my life into because of NFTs. And look at the other community in the Discord and on Twitter in the way that they're a part of building a character they believe in, you know, have an opportunity to be on this journey together and not me on the top. It's everybody's together building this. You can see that it's not a scam because at the end of the day, in, in order for this to be successful, everybody has to win. It's not a zero sum game. Everybody has to win. Mm. If Aku wins and nobody else wins, then why would anybody else want to just do NFTs? Like, it makes zero sense. In order to, for it to be successful and why the, you know, I just, and I spent all my time on Aku is because literally like the community said this is, with their own money, say this is a character we want into the world and it's my job now to elevate Aku and continue to spread the word and they do that too. And everybody's invested in, and aligned. Um, and so it's not a scam because I think it, it, it empowers human beings um, and communities to build something special together without permission from a theater or a distributor or a book company. Like we can, you can go release anything you want, anytime you want your art, anytime you want. Yes. And I, I think that that's a good way to tie it up because you talk about people being able to see what's possible and not getting held down by what's impossible. And uh, there's a lot of opportunity that's out there. So if nothing else, you don't got to go buy coins or anything like that. Just get out there, do your research, and at least understand what's happening in this space. So, Micah, once again, it's been fantastic having you on the podcast. Really appreciate it, brother. No, thank you, homie. Thanks again to Micah for coming on the podcast. I really appreciated his candor, his humility, and also his drive to succeed. So if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share with your network, share with a neighbor, share with a friend, because the more people the Mental Wealth Show reaches, the more people we help. 
And if you'd like to find me on social media, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at I am Rich Jones. You can also still follow the broader Paychecks and Balances universe at PayBalances on Twitter and Instagram and also Paychecks and Balances on LinkedIn because we are growing our presence there as well. So that's all that I got for this week. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, do something dope.